people. It's your girl, Frederica McClary Easley, back with another episode of Bum, 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 Bum. The people are blunt. So um, I have a guest. I'm super excited about this conversation. Y'all know I'm, I'm usually excited, but I'm really excited about this one. Um, before I jump into it, housekeeping. So y'all know we are on all the platforms, YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Prime, all of those things. Please make sure you like, subscribe, thumbs up comment i actually read them i actually reply so um so help me with that um people's ecosystem please go on check out the check out the website um for our merch right so we have the og merch we're going to be coming out with a new design um soon sooner rather than later so you want to get that so that you can show that you've been repping since day one um and also healthy treats so if you are um, in Cali, you can take advantage of THC products. We have a new gummy line that's out, Tulsi Treats. They are super, super amazing. Uh, one of the things that I love about them is your body knows what to do with it. And so you should treat yourself. So this new technology, Unlock It, allows it to attach to uh, a protein, which our bodies know what to do with proteins. And so usually, you know, you have an edible and uh, it takes a little while for that edible to kick in. Sometimes you actually forgot, you know, forget that you have taken the edible uh, and you out here in the streets and you're like, oh, wait a minute. There it is. Well, no, this one is fast acting, usually about 10, 15 minutes. It starts to make you feel the way in which you want to feel and uh, still has that lasting effect of edibles. So if you are in Cali, go ahead and check that out. Um, if you are not, Check out our merch. We have CBD products and, and all that good stuff. And so you can partake in that. And without further ado, I have Gerald Moore Jr. with me. Uh, G, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm wrangling these children, so I'm always busy, but I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Listen, um, I am a mom of a two and a half year old. And I have one on the way. So this is a kid. Thank you. So this is a kid-friendly environment. Uh, you said kids, plural. So what you got? I know yes. you got a three-year-old. So we got, I got a five-year-old. We got the three-year-old. And unfortunately, we had a stillbirth uh, last year. So we, we've been navigating that process. But we say three in total. We have two living. Yeah. No. Um, all, the, all the thoughts going out to... I was going out to you and um, to your partner. Um, it is. Uh, hey. She it couldn't resist. <laughs> Look, hey, baby, how are you? It is a process, you, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just. It's one that's very, you know, and again, that's why I've been sharing my story because it's part of my therapy as well in this process because you never you never think you're going to be one of those families that this happens to. But we know that there's all types of traumas, especially in our community. Uh, you know, I studied healthcare, uh, And then as a man, right, we don't necessarily talk about health. Um, so it's been a part of my therapy to actually be a part of this process, share it, get my story out there, my family story. Uh, because we don't share these stories often. Um, and it's part of the reason we've lost a lot of our history, uh, in my opinion, as a young black man in America, is we just we don't have any ways of knowing some of these stories. Yeah. Um, so when I found out the statistics about stillbirth um, in, you know, all of the health 
healthcare issues that we have. But when it comes down to childbirth, uh, women's health, uh, obviously I'm married to a black woman. So, you know, her health and well-being uh, in the whole process. And I've studied the healthcare system. So I'm looking at every level and why these institutional issues are plaguing our community. So it's been a part of my journey as well, being able to share the story. Obviously, it's been heartbreaking, grieving, frustration, anger, you know, all the things, depending on if you follow me, you might see some things because everybody's uh, grief is different. Um, everybody's way of expressing it is different. Um, but yeah, we have, you know, a beautiful family. My kids, my other ones are healthy. Harper was, uh, she just turned three, but she was also a preemie. So she was born five weeks early um, and was in NICU for about a week. Um, so we had that, but now she's, she's pretty much 90th percentile, you know, she runs the house, she's talking and words and, you know, she does all the things. So, uh, Noah's in kindergarten, he's five, he'll be six here in March. Um, so yeah, we've, you know, everybody's been navigating it. The kids even deal with, you know, it differently. So it's, uh, it's been one of those things that we've had, we're very kind of public figures. My wife's a news anchor. Um, so she's out in the public eye and I've been an athlete in the public eye before. So, you know, I kind of understand, and this is just, you know, our journey and what we have to do, but it also dives right into some cannabis medicine as well. So, um, yeah, it's been a process, but we'll talk about it. You know, first of all, I want to, um, I want to, first of all, acknowledge and thank you for, um, bringing your full self and being transparent about that because um, we often hear about those traumas from the woman's perspective, right? Because we are, you know, we are the vessel. Um, but the fact that you're bringing up one, you know, there's a grieving process that you as a dad, you as a father, you're going through, but also the kids because, um, yeah we're navigating this as well in preparing our two and a half year old for being a big brother in the baby, um, the baby that will be coming. And so you, you know, you are having these conversations with kids, the kids see, um, see the mom's belly growing. And so I don't, I don't know that attention gets paid to, um, to, to their grieving process, you know, and how, or just how they're processing it all. Yeah. Process. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Um. Okay. Connection. Yeah. Connection got a little Did weird on me. You are going in and out. My Wi-Fi looks good. And I'm I'm closing stuff out as well just to make sure that it's not coming from my end. Yeah, it's an end. Okay, I see you now. All right, well, can we'll try and roll it. Yep, I can hear you now. Clear. Okay. Daddy. Mommy's home. Yeah, that's a, oh, but uh, yeah, you know the process in whole. You know, everybody is dealing with it. Uh, you know, obviously my wife um, is dealing with it. And then you still have the physical healing process. Um, you know, my wife dealt with some or some 
some things that aren't normal too. You know, she uh, ended up having to have her uterus removed because she almost lost her life, you know, so she ended up having to get a blood transfusion. So there's just so many parts of it that happen. Um, but then the kids, you know, being able to, you know, tell the kids that, you know, their brother isn't coming home, uh, you know, how do you navigate that process, uh, especially being African-American, where we don't have all the same resources, we don't have the same uh, infrastructure, you know, the care, you know, you realize that they weren't even really checking on us, you know, thankfully, we have family, we have friends. Um, but you don't really, the services that are provided to a family uh, are really minimal. Uh, there are some nonprofits and stuff, but, you know, when you just look at the overall system and how we allow people to take a human being or themselves back home and back into society, and we're not really leaving them with any resources uh, to really navigate it. And thankfully, me and my wife, you know, we're both college educated. We come from pretty good families. Uh, so we have a different support system, but I'm very aware that not every family, not every mother, uh, not every husband or man has these same resources, especially in our communities. You know, yeah. I come from I come from the trenches, you know, and I've been fortunate to have a blessed life. Um, but I know a lot of us are living in the margins. You know, I have family members that are living in the margins yeah. and those people often don't get seen or heard. Um, and so I know it's my responsibility as somebody that's been to different places to really be that voice uh, in these spaces because the money is there, the resources are there, um, but they're just not making it to our communities. You know, it's one of the reasons, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Buffalo, New York. I know you're from Rochester. Um, I live in Texas. My husband and I, or family, we live in, we live in Austin, Texas. It's one of the reasons why we decided to have a home birth and to work with a, a midwife and actually have a birthing team um, yeah. is because of those statistics that you speak about in terms of um, infant and maternal mortality, specifically for black women. Um, you know, it, 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 it is interesting that it correlates with a lot of these more conservative states um, yeah. that the rates in which Black women and Black babies are dying, um, you know, there's an influx in those areas. And so I yeah, know yeah. that I know that you grew up in, in the DMV, but you and your wife are in Ohio. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Ohio is another one of those interesting states, right, where you have some cities that are progressive, um, yeah. but the state overall, and when you're talking about allocation of funds and things of yeah. that nature, it gets pretty tricky. So, yep. um, so again, thank you, right? Thank you yeah. for um, for being vulnerable, for bringing your full self um, to this space, and we're gonna get into it, right? Because because you know, a part of this conversation or or the the foundation of this conversation is a project that you and I are a part of mm -hmm. called Courage and Cannabis, um, and this is the second edition, right? So this is Dr. Yeah. Bridget Williams who is bringing. Um, people together, right? And and yeah. putting out these stories of our journeys with the plant, right? With uh -huh. her and, um, and normalizing. Uh, I think a, to me, a huge part of this project is how are we normalizing the plant, right? Yeah. And the people who consume it. And so um, 
and the healing properties of it. You know, rather you, regardless if you are actually medically diagnosed or if this is, to your point, traumas that we are dealing with, especially from marginalized communities and as people of color who deal with macro microaggressions all day, every day, because we woke up like this. Um, But how are we, how are we navigating and how are we managing? And so I want to get into that. I want to allow you the opportunity to tell your story um, and tell, you know, your journey with cannabis. So I guess the first thing I will ask you is, um, kind of like an ode to to brown sugar, right? Um, when did you when did you first fall in love with cannabis? You know, like when? What's your earliest memory? And maybe those are different. Maybe your memory yeah. versus your actual engagement with it is different. Yeah. But touch on that. Yeah. So uh, my story, obviously, you know, coming from where I come from, upstate New York, Rochester, New York. Uh, I, I'm a child, a product of poverty, working class community. Uh, my parents had me when they were teenagers uh, out of wedlock, you know, so I was raised. I was the golden child of my family. I was raised by my grandmother. She was the um, the matriarch of the family. My granddad, John Henry, he was the man's man. Uh, my dad was like a superstar athlete. So I was that kid and I was well protected, well cared for. I never knew we were living in poverty or had issues or, you know, were uh, just working to get by. But um, once I expanded and moved on in life and saw different things, I realized that we were that family. Uh, so just a few years ago, I found out my granddad was actually growing cannabis in the basement. And he was, you know, basically an herbalist. He had a garden. Everybody tells me about my granddad's garden. Um, He was one of those men that could do it all. Right. But what I did always see was the bottles of alcohol laying around all the time. My grandmother was also a smoker, so I would see cigarettes. So my earliest memory of seeing that stuff might have been some joints in there, might have been some roaches. I don't know. But uh, it wasn't until I got to high school uh, or my my uh, one of my God brothers, he was a little bit older and he would always come in the house high. And so I didn't know what it was, what was making him high. You know, we talked about it, but I had never really seen it. So it wasn't until I got to high school um, and my parents kind of kept me away from it. You know, it was like, you know, if you want to be an athlete, you want to go to college, you want to do all these things, you know, you got to keep your nose clean. Uh, and you're in DMV at the, you're in Maryland yeah, at this point. At this point in time, yes. So my grandmother ended up passing away when I was about six years old. Uh, my parents, my dad, and my stepmom uh, ended up going to HBCUs. My dad went to Norfolk. Mom went to Hampton. Uh, so when they graduated, we ended up moving. I was about six years old. So my dad took full custody of me. We moved to uh, the DMV. I went. I uh, lived in Prince George's County, um, and then went to high school in DC. So. Um, you know, once I got to high school, you know, I'm a pretty good athlete at this point. I had been recruited all over the, uh, the state, uh, in the city of DC, different private schools to go to different Catholic schools, uh, to play football and basketball. Ended up going to St. John's college preparatory high school, which is a prep school. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents shot me to, uh, boarding schools in DC. So, you know, the different types of people that you're with. It's crazy. But, you know, you're, you're going to parties. You know, I was going to parties freshman year and you'd see it. You know what I mean? People smoke it. And, you know, they would always ask me, like, you want to smoke? I'd be like, nah, I'm cool. Uh, but they'd be like, man, you'd be so funny because I was like a class clown. You know, I was always joking. You know, I was 
athlete, got along with everybody. And I was like, nah, I'm cool. You know, my parents say, you know, stay away from it. So I got to my junior year and a group of my black friends, we had a house party and they were smoking. And I was like, once I get to a junior year, I'll smoke it. Um, and plus I had already signed uh, my D1. I had confirmed that I was going D1 basically. So my dream of being a D1 scholarship athlete was pretty much there. All yeah. I had to do was just not mess up, sign a piece of paper my senior year and I was good. So, uh, and I was around a good group of friends. All of my friends were very, uh, you know, pretty good people, you know, that everybody had something to lose. So I knew right. I wasn't in a crowd where um, people were going to have laced, you know, right. the right. product or, you know, I knew it was going to be some good stuff. Right. Um, so junior year, go to the party. And then I'm like, I'm not coughing. You know what I mean? I'm like, so then, you know, you start having a good time. I'm like, man, this is better than they've told me it was, you know, I feel way better than what, what I would drink mm -hmm. you know, underage drinking. Um, so then, uh, you know, I started, I continuously started to do it and I saw how it made me feel, uh, at that time I'm in junior. So football is taking a toll on me. We're already training, you know, uh, you know, I had a, my first private trainer in eighth grade, you know, so I was Olympic lifting, power cleaning, uh, you know, playing athletes that are going to the NFL, going to other D1 colleges. So you're always training and sore and hurt. So I saw the way my body started to feel uh, after I would consume. And I was like, wow, this actually makes me feel great. Uh, and so, it, you know, I would continue and I wasn't, you know, over the top with it. Then I got to college. Uh, I graduated 2008, uh, ended up committing to Ohio University, which is in Athens, Ohio. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up being recruited all over the country. Uh, went to, I had three visits. I took one visit to West Point, uh, which is Army. Uh, mm -hmm. took another visit to Ohio University, and then I left my third one off. But, you know, you're going to these schools, and you're like, oh, like, all the kids are smoking weed. All the kids are drinking. All the kids, like, a lot of them. So I started to notice that cannabis really was something that didn't make me feel bad. It didn't make me feel like I was... Like the hangover, in, like the next Yeah, day. like the hangover, like I was in control of my state. If I was high, I was high, but it wasn't anything crazy. Um, and then I began to study healthcare. My degree was in healthcare. So while you're playing sports, you're getting drugs for all types of injuries. You know, people are getting surgeries, uh, but most of the players are consuming cannabis. Uh, and so, you know, you just realize there was just a huge stigma around it. Um, so let, you know. let's talk about that real quick. Cause that was so interesting to me. Uh, you know, um, similarly, I, the the acceptance of alcohol right the acceptance of alcohol um and even underage drinking right compared to cannabis but knowing and seeing how people lost themselves with being drunk right um and what could come from that versus versus cannabis um yeah. was just so interesting to me it was you know it was always like wow like yeah that damn dare that that dare PR game yeah. was so serious because yeah. it's like I've never seen people high fight. You know <laughs> what I mean? I've never seen like, and it's not to say that it doesn't happen, but in terms right. of like driving incidents and things of that mm -hmm. nature, like I don't really I've never heard of people being high and like speeding. I've heard of them going right. like slow. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, or being very mindful of what's going on. <laughs> 
Correct. You know, like hyper, hypersensitive, right? Like yeah. all, all of the senses being engaged. Um, but let's go into this because during the pandemic, one of the things that struck me was there were a lot of changes um, uh, in professional sports in yeah. regards to the way in which um, cannabis would be treated for like yeah. drug testing and things of that nature. And so how did that resonate with you? Like just knowing I mean, you've been an athlete since, I mean, you pre pretty much came out holding the football and the basketball, pretty right? Much, yeah. yeah. So it was, it always, was... it's always been this pressure. And then yeah. you said pretty early, you started to notice the, the, the wear on your body. Mm -hmm. And so to know how you had to navigate that and what the, what the status of things are now, what was, what was that for you? Um, yeah, so I've been angry for a while, you know what I mean? Because when you when you think about it, it's like they'll give you every other drug, yeah. you know, they'll they will numb you. Uh, you get these flu shots, all these vaccinations, all of these things. And then, you know, obviously the poverty, the war on drugs, all of that plays on it, too, because I'm African-American, like I'm from the mud. So when you see that, oh, they've been locking people up for smelling like weed, they've been locking people up for a joint. They're they're treating some of our athletes a certain way because that athlete is coming in smelling like weed. You know what yeah. I mean? And so it doesn't you know, it's assassinating our character uh, by, you know, by putting this on us. You know what I mean? And obviously now we have way more ways of consumption. But again, our community is very ignorant on some of these ways. They don't know that we have tinctures, you have vapor vape, you have different you know, means of uh, getting it. So for me, I was angry. You know? Like some people right. prefer flour. Like, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, well, and when you're conditioned to do stuff, like if this is the way that you've always seen it done, oh, we're going to break it down. We're going to go get a roll up. That's just naturally what we, and, you know, it's a cultural thing. It's also a communal thing for us when you typically think about it. Um, and so, uh, once you break down all of the the spectrum of it all, you know, for me, I was very angry, uh, but there's nothing you could do. You know, you can't even really speak up about it in college because people don't really understand like college scholarship. Like that's like a one year deal. Yeah, you say four years, but you got to sign your contract every year. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, if you're not good enough, they could cut you like they could revoke your scholarship. So. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Also, you got to think about the media. The media part comes into it. If you fail a drug test and now you're suspended for, and you, you're playing on ESPN and they're like, well, Gerald Moore Jr. is not playing because he failed, you know, uh, team regulations or whatever. And so it becomes then this narrative that's painted on you that you can't even really defend yourself. Uh, you can't really speak about it. You're really kind of ignorant on it. So. You know, once I began doing my studies on healthcare, I began really understanding how the healthcare system was working, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how the medical sales process worked, you know, the administration side of just overall industry. And I was like, wow, this is a huge beast that has been literally a, wa a war waged against this plant, you know, corporate, federal government, state and local government. And so, you know, I really didn't even speak about my cannabis uh, consumption until we legalized here in Ohio three years ago. Um, you know, I was one of those people. I'd be high all the time. Nobody really know. But it was, you know, like 
I couldn't really be out there talking. Plus, I was clean cut. I was still kind of corporate America. I was really just building my career. Uh, and then I was playing sports. And so you don't hear any of our athletes talking about it. You hear Kevin Durant. Uh, but the majority of those guys are consuming. You yeah. know, I would say, you know, anywhere from 65 to 80, 90 percent of them. Because, again, it makes their bodies feel better. You know, they're dealing with a lot. They deal with a lot of pressure. Uh, they deal with their family pressure, societal pressure, um, you know, performing. You got to perform uh, to make that type of money every day. Like there's not many professions where you have to come in every single day and perform and you have cameras on you at all times. Uh, yeah. And then when that ends, because it ends sooner than most people realize, uh, the NFL average is only three to four years. So yeah. most of those guys, you have the rest of your life to live and. Yeah. You know, the average is up maybe a million dollars. What's taxes on that? You know, what's living expenses on that? What's the perceived reality on that chain, that car, that house, those bags? So we just have a skewed mindset, especially when it comes to this level. And we talked about levels earlier um, of what's really going on. Um, so when you look at cannabis, it's like, well, cannabis was providing jobs. It was providing roofs overhead, clothes on backs, uh, health care. You know, we already don't trust the healthcare system. So, you know, we can't afford the American healthcare system. So cannabis was one of those ways to subsidize that, subsidize lifestyle. So, you know, you get tricked, you know, living in corporate America, living in, you know, private schools. And then all my private white friends was smoking weed. And I was like. And that, you know, that was the thing, because when you really dug into it, it's like, well, who has a disposable income? I mean, like yeah. I went to magnet schools not not as you know um not the level of boarding schools but when it was i mean like the the drugs and the access like the money and yeah. the access to like pills <laughs> and i mean like it was stuff that we were not talking about in the hood like we were not right. talking about like percocets and like mm -hmm. you know molly and stuff like yep. that in the hood it like yeah, it was like, okay, you know, you have liquor, you have weed, like, mm -hmm. okay. Um, right. But it was from that group yeah. where I was, like, where I learned about those other things and where mm -hmm. they were really talking about, like, the quality of weed and where their weed came from and, mm -hmm. you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's They like, had yeah. resin, rosin, okay. <laughs> you know, they had all... All different types. <laughs> Listen, okay, and it was like, okay, so you putting me on game, like, uh, but if you watch the, right? But if you watch, bongs. The, look, they were like, in terms of making bongs, you know what I mean, like using two, um, two liter, uh, pop bottles or whatever. Gravity bongs. <laughs> it was like, okay, like y'all have the time, y'all have the science, like y'all have figured this shit out. Because also in black houses, the land, the space. Listen, because in black households, you are not just like <laughs> walking around with your door. Like you just not have your bedroom door closed. Like we don't have that kind of privacy in black households. But, you know, you go over here to this group of friends and it's like, yeah. mom, leave me alone. Like y'all mm -hmm. can be in the basement just doing whatever mm -hmm. for like hours. Like hours on end. Yeah. Y'all just chilling. It's yeah. like, yeah, we don't. Our parents that. ain't even there. Like a lot of their parents, you know, once they get to the money. Hey, parents be traveling on business. Parents aren't there. I mean, even if you grew up in a household with black parents and both of them work, they come in the house and they like, they, what's going on in here? What you been doing? Like, my mom was a lawyer, okay? Okay. 
like Georgetown, like I, I didn't get away with nothing. Like, <laughs> yes. yes. So you already know the deal. So it's, you know, it's just so funny. So let, let me go to this because, so now you're in Ohio and you have been consuming for some time now, but of course, privately, I'm sure doing whatever you need to do to pass these drug tests and things of that nature. Um, angry because you clearly feel and see the healing. Um, you know what this plant is capable of, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so Ohio passes medical and uh, we were pre-talking everybody. We, we talked about 15 minutes before we started pressing record. Um, but you were talking about, and I'm going to put this up at the bottom, um, your, your IG handle, uh, the Ohio Cannabis Report. And I was asking you, like, what, you know, what was the purpose of that and why did it start? And I guess just navigating um, this regulated space, or at least the medical regulated space in Ohio. So tell me about that. Yeah. So, you know, I started seeing legalization happening all over the country, um, you know, just natural research. And then being involved in Ohio, there's a lot of weed in Ohio. You know, Ohio is an agricultural state, so you never have trouble getting it. But seeing the issues that we were having politically um, with it. Um, and, and for me, I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm like, you know, I would love to be involved in the cannabis business space, um, obviously, from is from a cultivation, from a vertically integrated level, you know, I want to be in all parts of the business. Um, and so I started seeing it, but I wasn't hearing really any news or information. I wasn't hearing anybody really talking about it on a public platform. Like you see everybody talking about cannabis from all these different states. Uh, you know, you got Maryland, you got New York, you got California, you got Oregon. And I'm like, I don't hear anybody specifically talking about Ohio. You hear right. Detroit and Michigan now. Um, and every so I'm state like, is different. Every state right. is regulated differently because we're still federally a schedule right. one. It's still federally schedule right. one. Yeah. Right. So, you know, me understanding two laws understanding that, yes, it's federally illegal, but the states are moving, right? I haven't seen the federal government come in and shut really anybody down, uh, but then realizing like how powerful of a state was politically, right? Ohio's a swing state. You know, when you look at politics, the president, uh, when I went to OU, uh, President Obama came down to Athens and I was like, as a black man that's 18, my first time getting to vote, I'm like, of course I'm a vote for homie, you know what I mean? I don't even really know much about politics, but if he could be the first one that I know of from the, <laughs> what they've been telling me. Right. So to be here and see like, okay, this university, my university was pretty progressive, you know, uh, uh, Biden went down there as well. But when you start seeing how politics really worked, uh, I, and I, I understand, uh, you know, media. Uh, I, I was assigned model and actor at like 13, 14, so I did commercials and things like that. So I understand production you out here. Well, you know, when you grow up with the parents that I had, you know, I, I just had this conversation with my dad. It was like I didn't really have a choice not to do anything like I don't really watch. I don't really play video games and stuff like that because I was always doing stuff, you know. So yeah. my dad was like, yeah, he was programmed. I was like, yeah, I was a little over programmed. Like, um, but, you know, on the other side of life now, you know, it's really helped me, you know, uh, in my story. It wasn't easy in that process for sure. But now on the backside that I'm a father, a coach and in, in this world, like it's given me a lot to speak to and do. And uh, so, yeah, it wasn't easy. But, yeah, so I 
signed model and actor. I was actually, I don't tell this story a lot, I guess, but part of the story is we were at a family friend's birthday uh, and Amarosa, uh, you know, if you know who Amarosa, I, obviously I didn't know who she was back then. Um, she was signed to uh, Linda Townsend Management. And so that she ended up scouting me, basically. She saw me, told my parents like, hey, does he model or act? And they were like, no, I was just playing sports. And she was like, he should go to my agent uh, and, you know, sign. And so ended up going. Uh, I played the saxophone at the time, um, played in the D.C. Like orchestra. This, this renaissance man. I mean, like taking yeah, that yeah. granddad who was the herbalist. So you yeah, play yeah. and you are an intellectual and, you know, you're playing sports and you have this creative side. Saxophone yeah. is we love brass. I played trumpet. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to that yeah. section. Yeah. Um, I love this. Right. Again, yeah. let's show the complexity and the like the full scope of individuals who use this plant, consume this plant for healing. Continue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. So um, I start modeling and acting and then I can only do so much. Right. Being an athlete, that's a way of performing. Right. So people get paid to perform a role as an athlete in a film or a commercial. So for me, I had to be careful because as a high school player, you can't really get this was before NIL name, image, likeness. So I had to be careful that I didn't represent my sport and become uh, NCAA ineligible. Yes. So I only did a few things. I actually got cast to be in The Wire, which was my fa parents' favorite show. Uh, you know, if you know The Wire. But I opted out of doing The Wire because I didn't want to be a childhood drug dealer. Right. I, I understood at that point in time representation. Yeah. Um, plus, I was already a football player in like I was a football player through and through basketball player through and through acting. OK, I can get paid to do this. OK, but I want to play, you know. Um, so I forfeited that opportunity. But I did. Uh, I played the preteen Muhammad Ali for they, they were building the Muhammad Ali uh, Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I got a gig to play the uh, like adolescent version of Muhammad Ali. And they ended up putting that documentary film in. And I did a couple other little things. But football always took up most of my time because yeah. casting would be on like Saturday and stuff like that. So, you know, I was able to do all that stuff. And so my perspective on media production, our voice, our ability to have conversations. And so uh, the Ohio Cannabis Report really came about because being on TV playing sports, like I have this one picture where there's like 20 journalists. I have two of my teammates, it's me and my head coach, and then we have our media guy. Everybody in the room is white but me. Uh, and this is the media on the biggest stage. We played on ESPN. We played at Penn State in front of 110,000. And so I'm starting to just see over and over again, like we aren't painting any narratives. Like we don't control any of the voice. We don't control any of the stories really on the main stage. Um, so I met my guy, Broderick, who I do the Ohio Cannabis Report with. And then obviously this was the time a podcast really starting to pop off. And I was like, man, we got to have a voice. Like we 30, we millennials, like we, you know, we don't know what's going on over here, but we know what we're dealing with as black men. Yep. We know what we see as black educated men in this system. We've been around white people, the hood, our families. Um, and I was like, there's nobody really representing us. Yep. And how we talk, how we navigate this space. Um, and then nobody's really speaking to us either. So, you know, I met Broderick in uh, the dispensary. He was working in Terrasana, 
which was one of our first legalized uh, medical dispensaries in Ohio. And so he was very knowledgeable of the plant. Like I had, I would smoke it. Like I would tell my friends, go buy it, roll it up, and I smoke it. Like I'm not buying it. I'm not rolling it up. Like it made me feel good, and we'll we'll go about that. So once cannabis started, <laughs> we got legalized. I'm going to the dispensary. I was one of the first people to get my license in Ohio. Um, and I met Broderick and, uh, you know, he really started to explain to me the terpenes. He started to explain to me, you know, the different types of products, the different types of applications, uh, you know, how indica and sativa could defer. Uh, so he really began educating me on, you know, cannabis. And I started to learn, like, we don't know nothing. Like we, are, you know, um, and Having so the medicine, the surface, Having yeah, we have the surface of this plant of the plant right and then obviously it being illegal and now legal we're really starting over so yeah. now we're really at the beginning stages of like bringing people from the legacy side who really know about the product into the forefront educating our people educating uh, ourselves on what really this plant was and obviously why it's been demonized in the first place um and so that process and i was just like i always have something to say i started athletes and cannabis um and athletes and cannabis is more difficult because uh, our athletes are really controlled and constricted. Like you're not really hearing from athletes until they retire yeah. uh, about cannabis. So it doesn't necessarily have the impact. Uh, so I realized I can talk about way more, um, you know, being in Ohio uh, and then also talking to patients, talking to bud tenders, talking to people in the industry because everybody's getting screwed. Right. You know, we have a very limited license, you know, so we don't have any equity uh, in our program, you know, so there's only, you know, we only have one fully vertically integrated African-American female led company, which is Harvest of Ohio. Um, so they have their own cultivation dispensary. Um, yeah. Seed to sale. Uh, race, seed right? to sale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Ohio was having a lot of difficulty and the politics plays a huge role in Ohio. So, you know, I was like, well, I don't have the money. I'm a stay at home dad. You know what I mean? My wife is on the news. How can I do something that is disruptive enough, uh, but also uh, building on something that I could do, uh, you know, when I have the time and the energy that can have a big impact. And so I came up with Ohio Cannabis Report. Uh, OhioCannabisReport.com was open, so I bought the domain. Still don't, don't have it up, but I understand the value of building things long term. And so mm -hmm. I was thinking long term. Uh, I also think about Ohio being an agricultural state. And we don't even talk about the hemp side of the cannabis plant, which is like that's going to be the big money maker because that's going to be everything. That's going to be our food. That's going to be our clothes. It's going to be, you know, um, housing. Uh, I work in the environmental justice space, cleaning the soil, the air, the water, um, you know, just everything is going to be made out of hemp. Like, and well, and it's, fuel. It's, it's so interesting because, you know, there was a time in history where we did understand the full yeah. benefit and utilize the full benefit of him. Um, but again, there are so many things that are political um, and, and people in power positioning for their greater good, as opposed to the greater good of all in society and our environment. And so we've had, we've had those, um, we've had those shifts. I want to do a shift real quick in terms of um, courage and cannabis. Right. Because you've shared so much of your story um, with with the blunt people. And so what made you decide 
that you wanted to be a part of this project? Yeah. So, I mean, similar to everything else that I've done uh, with using my voice, um, I understand being a, a collegiate division one, all American athlete, the weight that that carries uh, with me putting my face to weed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I have noticed is that a lot of people in powerful positions uh, have been either afraid or have shied away from it for their reputation, for their certificates, for their, um, you know, protection, safety, whatever. Uh, But I realized that I really wasn't safe ever. So it really doesn't hurt me, you know, especially when I know the law, when I know I have rights and protections. uh, I know I have you know, the ability to navigate this world a little bit differently than a lot of people that look like me. Uh, so I, one of the things was I knew I had to put my face to it. I also knew I wanted to be an author, um, but I've always hated writing, right? I'm a, I hate the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would rather just talk, you know, um, and have a conversation, but writing it, I understood that, you know, it just author title comes with that power. I was thinking about doing it the last one, Um, But my uh, apprehensiveness, my fear, my uh, going through the life uh, experiences that I was going through, I just didn't really feel like I had the time to sit down and write. Um, So but I saw the impact. um, And also, I was one of the first people uh, I put on a conference called the Ohio Black and Cannabis Conference when we really first started our program. And I had Dr. Bridget on. I had State Representative Juanita Brent. I had all the black people in our industry that were at like high levels. I had um, uh, the president of Cleveland School of Cannabis, uh, Kevin Green. Oh, Kevin Green. Yeah. Yeah. I had him on there. And so then it was like, well, you know, all these people got more money than me. They got more power and influence than me. And I'm doing this by myself. Like, so it was really like, all right, you know, I got to get myself out there more. I got to start doing more things to, you know, get my voice out there. So. Uh, Dr. Bridget had reached out uh, previously and we, we had talked about it and we always talk. She's my cannabis doctor. And I've loved that she's been putting her face out yeah. there more and talking about it because I understand, you know, people are going to gravitate. First of all, she's a black woman. She's a doctor. Uh, she's a cannabis entrepreneur. So uh, she has her own CBD line. So I understood that was going to carry a lot of weight with yeah. a lot of people. Uh, just her putting her stamp on it. Also, Cleveland Clinic. You know, that's one of the largest hospitals. That's one of so her having that intellectual background. Yes, uh, I knew would carry a lot of weight and being under her umbrella wherever she goes. You know, I'm you know I'm all for the powerhouse. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. So I understood what she was doing and building, and then when she said, you know, she had the vision of this being more like a what soup for the. I forget the name of that that series. Two for the but, Soul, you know, right? Two for the Soul, yeah, yeah. One of those type of uh, books that, you know, it just kept adding and adding on more and more stories. And then I just knew there was, there's so many stories, you know, there's so many people that I've consumed with that would never share their story. You know, it's just out of fear of, you know, losing their job or being perceived. Or like We have this thing of perception. Yeah. We want people to perceive us a certain way. And we talked about this earlier, business. You know, but then, you know, you look at it and it's like, well, everybody at happy hour network and drunk. 
(laughs) like every networking event, business event. And then, you know, I got into social or not social media, but uh, entrepreneurship VC. And I'm like, yo, they got beer taps in these startups. Like, what are we talking about? Like, but you're going to be mad at me (laughs) for having a little bit of something that's going to help me. Right. That's going to, you know, not dehydrate my body like this alcohol is. Helps um, me and makes me feel good. Helps me and makes, makes me, me feel, feel good. amazing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so, you know, I just started having all these things and I just, you know, I don't really feel accepted in a lot of spaces. I don't feel wanted, um, you know, so I had to really start creating my own spaces. And, uh, you know, even with black men, like not every black man has been an NFL caliber football player. So it's hard for me to be in spaces with dudes talking about sports that they've never really had the ability to play at a high level. Cause then I'm like, we talking about other men, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really do that. You know, I don't bet on other men. Like, yeah. uh, it's just the way I operate, you know, it's but different. yeah. Different. And you know, like I support women, like my wife is a news anchor. Like I'm fine being a stay at home. We actually talked about it before we had kids. Cause I was like, I would rather be home. Like, I know this life is expansive. Like I never imagined being 33. So now yeah. I'm 33. I'm like, oh, like as long as I take care of myself and, you know, I go to the doctors, I exercise, I have my medicine, like I do what I need to do. Like I probably live for a, a good little bit. You know what I mean? Lord well, well, look, we're going to have to have a part two because speaking sure. about because speaking about families and all that stuff, um, I have a midwife appointment that I got to cut out and get to. But congratulations you know, on that as well. You know, thank I mean? you. blessings. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but this is two is definitely yeah. two is a beast. Two is a beast. My son is five now, so he's a little bit more like he about to be six. So he could kind of do his own thing. The three year old. Yeah, she she ran everything. She <laughs> no games, but yeah, look, it's a beautiful thing. You, I you, have you your information. So I'll be calling for pointers because this, yeah. this two and a half year old. <laughs> Um, be giving me a run for all my money. I just be like, Lord, I don't know, baby. You just gotta know. let it go. You know, you really it's really just an ego check. That's what I've it, realized. It's more of an ego thing for us. That's you can't you know, believe like, it. Like and, and and being a type A personality and like liking things to run a certain way and be a certain way, um, that really has been the biggest lesson for me. Is just like some shit is what it is. Yeah, just, you just got to let it go, is. let go, let God flow. Like, if she going to pass out in the middle, that's you. Like, you really, you embarrassing me, but. It, I mean, but also everybody. you're embarrassing yourself. And like, I mean. And it's, it's real, though. Like, it's real life. It's real. Like, most adults be spazzing out or wanting to spaz out Correct. and have to hold it in. Correct. Correct. But, uh, Gerald, oh, my God. Yes, we have to have a part two. Yeah, thank you for I appreciate you. you so much for sharing your story. Um, we definitely have to dig into this because I think that there are so many stigmas and things of that nature that you touched on. Um, and I want to expand it. And I want to expand into how this medicine also um, is a part of your parenting. I think that we mm-hmm. we hear that oftentimes from mothers, but I'm going to be real, white mothers. Um, yep. And so I think that is something that we definitely need to dive into. So, hey, people, this is going to be a continued conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. Encourage your cannabis. Thank you for sharing your story with the people are blunt. Until next time, stay blunt, y'all.